following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. Well, I've always, you, y'all know I like movies, and I've uh, always had a certain affinity, a certain identity with Indiana Jones. Um, I mean, the similarities are striking. We are both ruggedly handsome. Okay, maybe not. Have a great sense of adventure? Uh, Maybe not. I love danger? Maybe not. But we do both hate snakes. That we've got. I hate those slithering little things. But, you know, that's just one of my kind of fears in life. Another fear is I do not like being outside in a thunderstorm. I don't like having lightning striking around when I am outdoors. That will send one crack of thunder, and man, I am running like an Olympic sprinter to get into the house. Uh, If you want to know about being outside and running in a thunderstorm with lightning striking all about you, ask Pastor Jonathan about it. He has some experience with that. Um, But I'm not the only one who kind of has lightning sort of strike terror into me. This story goes back. It, It was a hot and muggy July day in the year 1505. And a young university student was traveling through the country on his way home and suddenly clear skies became very dark and cloudy and a thunderstorm, a sudden thunderstorm just started raging around him and lightning was striking the ground all around him. And a bolt actually knocked him to the ground. And he jumped to his feet and he cried out, Saint Anne, help me, I will become a monk. Now, y'all know what a foxhole conversion is? A lot of people cry out to God when they're in the foxhole. I imagine God has heard in war times many people who have said, God, if you get me out of this, I'll become a pastor. I'll become your servant. How often do you think that works out? Probably not terribly often. But in this case, it did. This young man kept that vow. Martin Luther became a monk. And he became a devoted monk at that. He did everything imaginable to work his way toward a greater knowledge of the God that he wanted to serve. He would scrub the steps with a small brush. He would spend hours and hours in prayer and in the word. And it seemed the harder he worked, the farther away God seemed to him. To make a long story short, and it's a wonderful story, you really should read the story of Martin Luther. His devotion to the scriptures finally led him to this. The just shall live 
by faith. And bing, the lights went on. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't work your way to God. It is by, what's that word? Faith. And faith alone. And, and Luther became just totally overcome by this idea that salvation was by faith and faith alone. And he began writing it. He began teaching it. He began, began preaching it. And the church didn't like it, <laughs> to say the least. And this put him on a direct collision course, a, a collision course that ultimately ended up with Luther being called before the authorities of the church to answer for all his heretical writings on justification by faith and all of this other stuff. And he was called to the city of Worms in 1521 to stand before a council and defend himself. And the first day he comes in, there's a, a stack of his books and his writings, and they say, recant, take back what you've said. All you have to do is say it's not true. It's not true, and I'll never preach and teach it again. Luther wavered, actually. And he said, give me 24 hours to think about it. But something happened in those 24 hours. And when he came back the next day in a larger room, late in the day, lit by candles and, and crowded just to the rafters with people wanting to hear what this guy was going to say, straining to hear every word. And it was a new guy that came in. He was bold. He was courageous. And ultimately, he comes to this, recant, recant, take back what you said, promise you'll never preach and teach it again. Martin Luther said these famous words, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures and by clear reason, and he added, for I do not trust the Pope or councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. Yikes. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. May God help me. And he goes on and says, I cannot and will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against the conscience. And those words, as famous as they are, are not as well remembered or famous as how he closed it. He said, here I stand. I can do no other. Here I stand on this truth, on the truth of the word of God, on the authority of the scriptures. Here I stand. I can do no other. My conscience, he says, is captive to the word of God. I'm a prisoner to his word. <sighs> Listen, people, are we there? Are we there? 
by the way, this was not, of course, the message I was going to preach today. But it's the message I felt I had to preach today, and I hate it. Because it's pointing a finger right back at me. Is my conscience captive to the word of God? In such a way that I am, am in lockstep with the spirit of God? I have to say no. What about you? It's okay to say no. Because that's where we start. That's where we start. We have to admit to ourselves that we're a long ways from where we should be. But you know, thank God we are not what we once were, right? I've come a few steps in the last 45 years. And I don't know how much time God's going to give me. But I hope and pray that I spend that time growing, reaching, and stretching so that my, I can say with Martin Luther, my conscience is captive to the word of God. How did he get there? How did he get there? This. Psalm 46. Turn to that if you would. This was one of Luther's great Comforts in the time following the Diet of Worms when, uh, when he, he, he was under attack, when the church was after him, when he was on the run. <coughs> Psalm 46 was the inspiration for, guess what? A mighty fortress is our God. Psalm 46, and, and I, want, I want you just to look at it kind of briefly here. We're going to see three things. That our God reigns, and, and Luther believed this with all his heart, or else he could not have stood before the authority of the church and said, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Let me ask you, do you suppose we're going to do that? I often wonder when the time comes when the church is under grave attack. How many empty seats will there be? How many empty pulpits will there be? Our God reigns. We're going to see that he reigns over three things here. And the first is he reigns over fear. He reigns over fear. Look at what he says. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. He starts where everything starts. God. 
God. God is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. He is God. And it says that here three things. He is our refuge, our strength, and an ever-present help in trouble. A refuge, a, a refuge is a place of shelter, a place of safety, a place of protection. You will need that in your life. If you haven't been there yet, you will. I've often quoted Shakespeare, and I, and I take it totally out of context, but I love the line, something wicked this way comes. Guess what? Something wicked this way comes. Whether it's in your life personally, a personal loss, uh, maybe it's you and a health issue, maybe it's who knows what. Something wicked this way comes. We are going to need a place of refuge. Brings to mind an old chorus we used to sing, you are my hiding place, you are my hiding place, you shall encompass me. Sure, I forgot it. Trust me, it's good. I'm embracing my senior moments now, by the way. Our refuge, a place of safety, shelter, and protection. Our strength, that means our might. He is our protector. God can protect you when no one else can protect you. I'm a dad. I've probably told you that. I have five sons. And how many grandkids? Eight now? Yes. By the way, our, our eighth just got cleared for adoption Friday. So we're excited. Um, and I'm a carpenter. I like to fix things. And that's a dangerous thing in life to think you can fix everything. Because guess what? You can't fix everything. There are going to be things in your life that you simply cannot fix. God is our refuge and our strength. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. I love this. He is consistent. He is always there. I love Psalm 50, verse 15. It says, call on me, God says, call on me in your day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Three things. You call, I deliver, and you glorify me. He is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Whoa, wait a minute. Did you read that? We will not fear. It doesn't say, God, I'll try, I'll, try, I'll try harder not to be afraid. God, maybe, maybe just a little bit? No. He says, we will not fear. 
We've talked about this many times. There's nothing more paralyzing in life than fear. We went through it. We went through one of the greatest times of fear in this country that our generations have known in COVID. You just saw it in people's eyes. This is a definite affirmative statement. We will not. And only when we are sure of our refuge and strength and his help can we say that, can we experience that. And he goes on to say, though, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. We know about natural calamities, don't we? Y'all, I almost did it again. I'm going to. Y'all here in Erie, that live here in Erie, know about floods, right? Was it 72 that you had the big one? Okay. Um. And, and some of you saw the, the might and the power of moving water when it moves in volume and in speed and, and the damage it can do. How many of you have seen a tornado? Okay, cool. I think I told you the story. We saw one. We had in one, one in Walnut uh, that God was, you know, it was coming right at Walnut. And... Um, I was watching it from the porch, and Jonathan was there with me. He was much young. He was just yay high. And we had gone to the basement when we heard the warning, and I saw it the first time, and I said, let's get to the basement. We went to the basement. I was there about 30 seconds and said, I can't be here. I got to go watch this. How often do you get to see a tornado? I mean, really? So I went out on the porch, and I'm watching it. Jonathan pretty soon is at my side, and well, I'm watching that, and I, he said, Dad, we need to go to the basement. And I said, no, we're okay. He said, no, Dad, we need to go to the basement. I said, no, we're fine. I've got an eye on it. He said, not that one, this one. Um, there, there, were, there were two of them. We went to the basement. Um, and, oh, by coincidence, it just turned right before it got to town and missed Walnut completely. Coincidence, you were supposed to pick up on that and the whole rain thing. Um, earthquakes, how many of you have experienced an earthquake? Okay. Earthquakes are weird. Uh, people who have experienced major earthquakes say it's, it's more frightening than any other natural calamity. A tornado, you can go to the basement. A hurricane, you can kind of prepare for, you know it's coming. But an earthquake, I remember one, late one night in Walnut, I was in the basement in our, in our family room down there, a cement, so it was on a cement floor, and we had a minor, minor tremor, and I mean minor, but I, I knew it was coming. You, you've heard it or something before you felt it, and then everything just boom, like that for a moment. And, and it's a frightening thing because everything is enveloped by an earthquake. These natural calamities, and, and 
the writer of this psalm says, we will not fear. We're okay. We're going to be okay. Secondly, God reigns over confusion. God reigns over confusion. These are indeed confusing times, right? We see stuff happening in our culture we never could have dreamed of 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. We can't figure out our world. Our world is confusing. We don't know who the enemy is anymore. It's hard to make sense of it all, and, and, and it is precisely why we, we need this sense of being rooted, of being moored in the word of God and seeing the world through a biblical filter. Because we cannot understand what's happening around us without an understanding of the word of God. I've said it over and over and over and over again in 17 years here. We cannot understand the world unless we understand the word of God. Need I say it again? The writer is looking at both the present and at the future in these few verses. In, in future sense, he's looking like Revelation 21 and the new Jerusalem coming down. When he talks about this, he says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. But he's also talking about today. And he's talking about you and me, the church of Jesus Christ. God is here. God is here. He is in our midst. He's in our lives He wants to guide us and and direct us. Remember his words to his disciples when he said, hey, who do men say that I am? Well, people say this and people say that. No, 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 no. Who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the Messiah. Jesus said, good answer. Good answer. Blessed are you. And you know what? You're Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And then what? Good luck. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell Depending on your translation, it may say, the gates of hell shall not overcome it, or the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Doesn't matter how you translate it. It means the church will be stronger. The church will survive. The church will always be the church in this this lost and desperate world. Just one amen. Thank you, Susie. God provides and protects his people in this 
in this way, in his way, in his, the, his timing, in his timing alone. And what's interesting about this, as I read it, is God is within her. She, shall, she will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an uproar, kingdoms fall. It's amazing, isn't it, the wisdom of man? The wisdom of man is something incredible. How we think we've got it all wired. We can do this without God. Look at history. I love history. Because it's just such a great lesson on how not to do life. The fallacy of man's thinking is that we are in control. Nations rise and fall. I like the way one commentator said it. God raises his voice. He lifts his voice. I'm sorry, I read that and I think of being at home Growing up, and not that I ever got in trouble, when my dad, who was a very quiet man, raised his voice, all I knew was I better start running. God raises his voice, and nations melt, the world melts. God has that power. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's interesting that he interjects this now and then, then he ramps up for the close. Come and see the works of the Lord. And the third thing we see is that God reigns over our times. God reigns over our times. The psalmist in Psalm 27 says, but I trust in you, O Lord. My times are in your hands. My times are in your hands. Is there a better place? Somebody tell me. You got a better idea? A better plan? Put it in your wife's hands? Put it in your husband's hands? Put it in your parents' hands? Put it... That's all fine and dandy, but ultimately it has to go into God's hands. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This is talking about the time when God will ultimately bring peace. There is no way in a sinful world that man can bring peace. Now, I know that's hard for us to think about because, um, and I think it's true, something I read recently, that our generation, those of us who are 70 and in our, in our 70s, we have lived the most amazing time period in history. Statistically, this is an outlier. This is not the way life usually is, filled with prosperity and relative peace. 
The history of the world is a history of warfare and brutality. But the day comes when Jesus Christ will reign over all and there will be complete peace. He will make the wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He'll break the bow and shatter the spear. He'll burn the shields with fire. And here's the context. Verse 10 is a verse that I love and I have misquoted it so many times. And it's often taken out of context. Be still and know that I am God. It's great. You buy those plaques. You buy it on plaques and stuff. And it's fine. It, it, there is an application to us. We can take it and say, I am to be still before God. And I need to rest and, and, and take time and close my eyes and just relax in the presence of God. Be still and know that God is God. That's well and good. But this is really, think about what it just said. He's going to make wars cease to the ends of the earth. So be still. The idea is cease striving. Stop fighting. The day will come when God shouts out to this world, stop. That's it. Amen? Give God a hand. Be still. In this setting, be still and know that I am God. It's not, it's not really advice to lead a contemplative life, although that's okay. It means rather lay down your arms, surrender, and acknowledge that I am the one and only victorious God. Right here and right now, that's what that means to us as a church. Not to sit cross-legged on a mat in the corner and contemplate your navel. I don't know where that comes from. But to surrender and say, God, you are God. I'm not. I surrender. You are the one that reigns over fear and over confusion and over these times. Not me. I don't have that capability. Good grief. I could mess up a two-car parade. Anybody who knows me organizationally knows that to be true. Be still. Know that I am God. Our submission, Spurgeon said this, our submission is to be such that as becomes rational creatures... God doth not require us to submit contrary to reason, but to submit as seeing the reason and ground of submission. Hence, the bare consideration that God is God may well be sufficient to still all objections and oppositions against divine sovereignty. Think. Think about it. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And let me close with this. He simply says, <laughs> he reminds us 
that the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That someday, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God. And which better way to end? Father, you reign over all. You reign over this planet. You reign over our hearts. God, may we as as your children come to a greater understanding of what it means to submit, to surrender, to be still, to stop fighting you. truly make you Lord of all. Not just talk about it. But to do it. Words are cheap. Talk is cheap. Father, may the word, the words at least remind us and infect us with that desire. That we, Father, may sing and say, proclaim with our hearts and our voices and our lives that indeed you are God and you reign. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.